All right, we'll get started this morning. Good to see you. Let's take our Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We want to try and make some ground in this uh, study in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Be praying for Brother Spike. I don't want to divulge all his business, but he's uh, still sick and he's not sure what he's got, so he felt it wise to stay at home for the current time. So just be praying for him. Pray pray that he'll uh, get some strength over this stuff. It's one of those kind of times where when you get sick, you don't know what you got. And so it's kind of a big question mark. So I can understand what's going on. But nonetheless, be praying for him. Good to see Dylan back. Got your brain? Okay. All right. Well, all right. Anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to talk about covetous this morning, so covetousness this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says in verse 10, Yet not altogether, well, we'll start at verse 9 to get the beginning of the sentence. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous. But then look in verse 11, he said, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we do thank you, Lord, for the beautiful weather, God, has, as has already been commented on, God. Lord, thank you, God, for, Lord, just giving us a good week, Lord, at least a grand opportunity to be outside, God, and just uh, piddling around the yard, God, and just getting things accomplished. Lord, we thank you for that. God, pray that you'd help us this morning. God, pray that you'd speak to our hearts and deal with us. God, pray that you'd encourage us. And God, pray that you'd reprove us, God, rebuke us, exhort us, God, whatever is necessary. I pray that you'd give me the understanding to do that, God, Lord, through the word of God. Help me, Lord, to say everything that needs to be said, no more, no less. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So covetousness, the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we talked about it on Wednesday night. I preached about it on Wednesday night. He's not telling you to separate from folks that are out in the world if they're covetous, although I will say this, something that I didn't say on Wednesday night. Uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is not an excuse to hang out with people that have these problems in verse 10. It's not an excuse to go find all the people in the world that are covetous or that are drunkards or that are fornicators and say, well, 1 Corinthians just told me that I have to stay away from Christians that have those problems. I don't have to stay away from, uh, say, folks that have that problem. That's not what he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So don't warm up to them. And not trying to be friends with them, not trying to be buddy buddies with them. Listen, the basis, the basis of your fellowship with people should be Jesus Christ. And if somebody's got uh, something going on with fornication or drunkenness or covetousness or idolatry, what, what reason do you have to go hang out down at their house? You find some, somebody got peace symbols hanging all around their house and hippie signs and a bunch of images hanging around their house. What you need to be going down to hang around down at their house, whether they're saved or lost? You ain't got no business hanging down there at their house. You say, well, I'm trying to be a witness to them. How come you can't let them come over to your house for a brief visit? Five minutes is plenty to tell them about Jesus Christ. What, listen, what's going on is people have gotten way too comfortable hanging out with the world's folks. And, well, I don't want to offend anybody. And I can't, I just, you know, if I say X, Y, Z, or if I am a certain way, I'm really going to hurt their feelings and I'm not going to get the gospel to them. Well, listen, if you be in a certain way as far as being right goes, as far as being holy, as far as being clean, if that's going to cut their ear off from receiving the gospel, that's their problem. It's not yours. Now, that's not, I think we've gone on both sides of this argument enough for you to understand, those of you that are here, I think you understand that that's not a license, that's not a badge for you to be a jerk. But see, what you do is you, you engraft right principles into your life, you engraft, you adopt right standards into your life based on the Bible, and people that don't like those standards will separate from you. They'll just leave. You don't have to run them off. They will leave. They will find, if you do that in a church, they'll find a new church to go to. If you do that in your family, your family will find other family members to hang out with. You're just going to have to let that go where it is. Not, amen, amen. 
Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. We're gonna, I'm going to have a good day. <laughs> Amen. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, quit trying to buddy up with the world. Don't, don't, ain't no need to buddy up with them. Bible says in the, uh, well, not the Bible, but the dictionary says that covetousness is a desire. It's to desire, to covet is to desire or wish for. It's to wish for. It's to wish for. That's not the same thing as hope. Hope is a reasonable expectation of a desired end. But what a lot of people estimate to be hope is really nothing more than wishing. And listen, if you boil that down, if you boil that wishing down, what you're doing is you're hanging out in your imagination. That's what covetousness is. Looking at something, which we'll get here in a second, but it's looking at something that somebody else has and saying, well, I wish I had that. Now, you think you wish you had that, but you probably really don't want it. We'll talk about that here in a second. It's to, it's to desire or wish for with eagerness. We'll talk about that. To desire earnestly to obtain or possess. Uh, that, that definition, if you look in the dictionary, in Webster's Dictionary, that definition is given in, the, in a good sense. And you say, well, I didn't know that you could covet in a good sense. You can. There are two places in the Bible where you're told to covet. You are instructed to do so. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the other is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells you, covet earnestly the best gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he tells you, covet that you may, that you may prophesy. So in both instances where covetousness is looked at in a good sense, it's looked at in the sense of coveting spiritual gifts. And listen, if you just take the word covetousness and define it as we just defined it, it's to desire, then that makes sense. If you're to covet the best gifts, if you're to covet to prophesy, then what you're really doing is you're just desiring. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and go, of course you don't have to hold your place there, but go over to Exodus chapter 20. And then I want you to grab Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 5 and the other. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and the other. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 20, this is where God gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. He says in Exodus chapter 20, look in verse 17, thou shalt not what? Covet. Okay, he says don't covet. And he tells you what not to covet, thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and look at what he says. This is the second time he gives the law, Deutero, second giving. And so uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 21, same commandment, look at what he says, neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife. So he tells you in, in Exodus 20 he uses the word covet. In Deuteronomy 5, he uses the word desire. There's a connection between those two things. So largely what covetousness is, is it's a desire. So there, are, there is an instance where covetousness is something that you are permitted, even, yea, instructed to do. And that's in relation to spiritual things. That's in relation to spiritual gifts. But see, that's not the problem that people have when it comes to covetousness. What you have in, in regards to covetousness, nine times out of ten, is you're co coveting material things. You're looking at something that somebody else has and saying, well, I wish I had that. How come I don't have that? How come they got that? That's largely what covetousness is. In, uh, in the dictionary, the second definition of covetousness is to desire inordinately. In, inordinate to be inordinate, that's the, something that's outside of normal bounds. That's something that's not restricted within a box, so to speak. It's, okay, you've got the desire. That's not necessarily wrong. A desire is not necessarily wrong. Desire is what got some of you fellas married. Desire is what got some of you fellas the material goods that you have. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's when that thing becomes inordinate. Now, we got rivers and we've got lakes. You go up to North Georgia and there is, I believe it's Lake Lanier, <clears throat> a huge lake, huge lake. And what they did is they built this big concrete wall called a dam. And what that is is that dam holds back some water 
And that water is pushing against that dam and they put holes in those dams and put some propellers, some props. And every once in a while they'll open the floodgates and let that water go through. You say, what are they doing? They're generating electricity. Well, that's a good, that's a good illustration of what covetousness is, of what desire is. Here's a desire that a man has. It's, it's pent up in his bosom. And if a man will take that and he'll be constructive with it, it'll produce something that's worth using. It'll produce something that's worthwhile. The problem is when you get a little hole in that dam, a little pinhole. You say, what is that? That's inordinate. Now what you've done is you've opened up just a little area for a little stream of water to come through and the force of that water is going to push through so hard that it's going to start to grab all of the material on the the surface area on the outside of that hole and it's going to just keep grabbing stuff. You let a little covetousness through and it's just going to keep grabbing more and more and more and one day that dam's going to give way. So here you got a fellow who's got a desire in his heart and God, God says, hey, it's right to desire, it's right to covet after spiritual gifts. That's, that's covetousness within a box. Hey, so long as I've got it within this prescribed means, it's right, it's acceptable, it's pleasing to God. Covet earnestly, the best gifts. Covet to prophesy. That's right. And then he starts looking at what his neighbor's got. He starts looking at, hey, here's a truck, or here's a house, or here's my brother's wife. Mm, how come I don't have those things? What you just did is you just drilled a hole through the dam. And if you don't patch that hole in a hurry, what that thing's going to do is that thing's going to start grabbing everything in its path. And it won't be too long before you're fixing to have some big problems, buddy. You're going to have some problems to where you can't, you can't hold back the desires of your own wicked heart. You, you're going to have to put some handcuffs on those things. You're going to have to put some handcuffs on them. The Bible talks about inordinate affection. See, there's nothing wrong with affection unless you let it get out of hand. Affection, the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That, that stuff is acceptable. Those affections are right. They're good. They're clean as long as they're ordinate. The moment that they become inordinate, buddy, you're fixing to have a, a, a boatload of trouble. And so God makes an allowance for this desire, but he tells you in Exodus 20 that there's things that you ain't supposed to desire. Look here in Exodus 20, if you still got your place there. He says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Here you are living in South Georgia, and you got you a little old 500 square foot house. Or no, Hardly nobody lives in a 500 square foot house anymore. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but not many people do. But you're looking around, you've got 1,200 square feet in your house, and you look at your neighbor that's got 16 or 17 or 2,000 or 2,400 square feet. Oh, man, I wish I had that. Well, let me ask you something. How come you just can't be happy for the fact that they've got it? How can't you just look, how, why can't you just look at them and just say, man, I sure am glad that they, they got that thing. I bought a new rifle this past week, and uh, it's a nice rifle. I've been enjoying it. I took it out back here. Don't tell the police. Of course, I don't care if you tell the police or not. But I took it out back here and set up a milk jug and took a little video of it. I set my video camera right next to the milk jug, probably, I say right next, probably about five feet away. And then I stepped back about 40 yards and shot that thing and got to watch that thing just explode on camera. That's pretty fun. I always enjoyed it. My brother called me. That's my brother's dream gun. My brother called me and he said, Mama said that you got, you went and spent some money on a new toy. I said, yeah. He said, uh, he said what did you get? I said, I bought a gun, a rifle. He said, what kind of rifle did you get? I told him what it was. He said, man. He said, you know, that's my dream gun. I said, no, I didn't know that. I said, but I got it, nana nana boo boo. You know what he told me? He said, man, I'm happy for you. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with looking at somebody? Brother Tommy, I am kind of envious of him a little bit, but Brother Tommy came to church a couple of services ago with a nice new pickup. Now, I say new. I, I don't think it's brand new. None of my business. I wouldn't care if it was or not. But he come to church with a nice new pickup. It's newer than mine. You know what I did? I didn't look at him and say, man, I wish I had that. I said, man, praise the Lord. Why, why look at that stuff and be upset about it? I'll tell you why. You're covetous. 
I don't have to have everything that everybody else has got. America, man, if I can remember this saying right, I've heard it said by other preachers, and it's a good saying. If I can remember it right, let me try and quote it to you. They say that uh, America is filled with people that are trying to, Im- they're trying to buy things with money that they don't have uh, to impress people that they don't like. I mean, that, if that does not describe our society, if that doesn't describe our churches, what in the world, man? Why do you have to have everything that everybody else has got? Let me ask you another question, Bozo. Of course, I'm not talking to anybody in here because nobody in here has a problem with covetousness. I, I, I understand that. But anyways, why is it that you've got to have everything now? Why is it that you've got to have everything today that your mom and daddy worked for for 40 years? My daddy is in his 60s, if I remember correctly. He is 60, okay. My daddy's in a position in his life financially to where he's able to take some money and throw it towards things that he just likes, he enjoys. I can't live that way. I don't have that much money. And you know what? I'm okay with that. You know what gets a lot of folks into trouble? They look at something that somebody else has and they say, boy, I sure would like to have that. Here's a fellow that goes out and he buys a 25-foot bass boat or a modified B-bottom or something like that, and he goes out and buys it, and he spends all this money on it. He takes this money and he throws it down, or he gets a line of credit, and he goes and picks this boat up, and then he goes and gets it and he fishes five or six times, and then what he doesn't realize is, hey, with that boat, there comes maintenance. Not only do you have to put gas in it, now you've got to make sure that you wash it to make sure that the salt water doesn't eat the veneer off of it. You've got to make sure that you keep it out of the sun so that the sun doesn't bake the fiberglass and weaken the hole. There's stuff that you've got to take into consideration. So now something that costs you $20,000 is going to cost you more than that because you've got to... You've got to spend the time to rinse the boat off, making sure that the salt ain't eating through it. You've got to spend more money to put a garage over it so the sun doesn't bake it. Hey, man, why, did, why wouldn't you just be content? Why wouldn't you just be satisfied with going fishing with your daddy? Your daddy can afford it. Hey, just go fishing with him. be a good excuse for you to spend some time with him. We can't, we can't have that. Got to have everything that mom and daddy's got. Got to have it right now. That's foolish. That's foolish. Let me tell you what that means in the Greek. That's stupid. That's absolutely ridiculous. Makes me mad at myself. Got to have, got to have everything that mom and daddy's worked 20 or 40 or 50 years to get. And listen, if you get it, you ain't going to take care of it. You want proof of that? You want proof of that? Buy your kids new toys for Christmas. Watch where they turn out in two weeks. By January 1st, you know where them toys are going to be at? They're going to be out in the yard overnight during a thunderstorm. Am I lying? I'm not out of my mind. I have three kids. I know exactly what you say. What is that? That's what happens when you take people and give them what they want without having an expectation that you work for it. That's covetousness. I just, I, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. You don't have to have it. Listening to one of the fellas here at church the other night, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, one of his kids told him, uh, you're broke, or made a comment about that, like that. And he said, no, I'm not broke. I got y'all. That's true. That's true. You're not broke. You're not poor. Some, some of you folks, you might not be making up as much money as other people in this church, but I tell you, I don't know any of you that ain't, that, that's poor. And if you are poor, I, I, don't, I don't see anybody in here that if you were poor, I don't see any of you in here that couldn't go work and make some money and take care of that situation. Covetousness. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. It's gonna put you in a grave. It's gonna put you in a grave. You ain't got no business coveting that stuff. All of that out of thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. We haven't even got through the whole verse yet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Do I need to hang out here for a little while? Well, I really wish I had 
so-and-so's wife. I wish my wife was like so-and-so's wife. Well, I'll tell you what, how about you try and make her? And listen, I, I, I get chuckles about that. Let me be clear about what I'm saying along those lines. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying in a facetious sense you try and force her to be that way. I'm saying if you're dissatisfied with your wife, why don't you try to lead her to the place to where she satisfies you? I'm telling you, I'm, now this morning, I'm warning you ladies, I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to preach about holy women. I'm going to preach out of 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of do my best, God willing, I'm going to give it to you pretty hard. But I, let me just go ahead and put this plug in here. A lot of the problems, I heard a preacher say this yesterday. I was listening to a preacher, Tony Hudson, as a matter of fact. He said, most of the problem in churches is not from women that are overbearing. He said, it's from spaghetti-spined fellows. It's from fellas that just won't lead their wives. Now, I grant you, I will grant you, there are some ladies who it doesn't matter how much you lead them, they just ain't going to follow. But I believe with all of my heart, you listening to me, fellas? I believe with all my heart, that's the exception. That's not the rule. If you'd be reasonable, and if you'd lead your wife with some charity, if you'd lead your wife with some brotherly kindness, it might take some time. Which is another problem. It's what you don't want to give. You don't want to give no time. You want, boy, I tell you, the Lord's dealt with me about this. You know what you want to see out of people? You want to preach to them or you want to deal with them and you want to see the changes that you have in mind. You want to see it right now, today. And then when you don't see those changes today, when you don't see them right now, you get upset and get mad and get frustrated and then you just, you fuss. How about you have some patience? Okay, if you're dissatisfied with your wife, fellas, if you're looking at somebody else's wife and saying, I wish my wife was that way, how about you lead her, bozo? Lead her to that place. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Before you go complaining about your wife, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Before you go complaining about your wife, you better go find a prayer closet somewhere and say, God, why is my wife turning out the way that she is. What am I doing that's contributing to her spiritual development or lack thereof? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good preaching, preacher. That's exactly right. You get frustrated with your wife. You get frustrated with your family. All things are like to all men. I know exactly how you feel. But at the end of the day, if you'll give God some consideration about that matter, I believe with all my heart, God will show you, well, look at here. You're being a jerk right here, and you're being stupid right here, and you're doing stupid things right here. How about getting that stuff taken care of, and your wife might follow you. You know why your wife is so critical, fellas? It's because you are. You know why your wife gossips about everybody? Because she's listening to you do that. Shut up. Shut your cotton-picking mouth. Lead her. Don't tell her what to do. Lead her. Mm -hmm. Since we're on this matter of covetousness, let me ask you something. Why do you expect your kids to be grateful and thankful for what you do for them when you spend your whole life wanting something else that you don't already have? They're looking at you. They're paying attention to you when they see mama and daddy. Listen, I'm not talking about if you've got a desire and hey, I got to go, I've got to go work for this. I understand that. But Lord have mercy when all you spend your whole life, I got to have this and I've got to have that and I've got to have this and I've got to have that. Why would they not be ungrateful for what you've given to them and what you've done for them? That's your attitude. You're not satisfied with anything. Amen, 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 amen. You develop that in your children. You develop that in your wife, husbands, ladies. You constantly being dissatisfied with everything that goes on in your family. What do you expect the rest of your family to do? Amen. Lead by example, folks. Lead by example. That's right. Before you ever hold a standard out for anybody, you better make sure you're doing double. That's right. And if you're not willing to do that, then shut your mouth, which is why a lot of preachers have shut their mouth. I can't preach against X, Y, Z because I'm guilty of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Get right. 
Get right with God. <clears throat> Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. I do find it interesting how that all these people are so against slavery, and yet it's everywhere. Servanthood is everywhere throughout the Scripture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but that's true. Nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. His ox and his ass, that's a beast of burden. That's something that you either ride or do work with. Hey, don't, hey, Brother Pedro's got a nice tractor. Not worried about getting a tractor for myself. Be thankful. Hey, praise the Lord. Brother Pedro's got a nice tractor. Praise the Lord. You know what? Brother Pedro needs that. <laughs> Brother Pedro got a lot of land that he's got to till up. Not going to sit around and, how come he got that and I don't? Amen. Quit coveting that stuff. Quit coveting. Quit wanting what other people have got. And then if he forgot it, if he forgot anything, he says, nor anything that's thy neighbor's. Just in case, I'm going to load the shotgun and I'm going to just pow, 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 just shoot everywhere. Anything that belongs to your neighbor, anything that your neighbor has, don't be coveting it. That's right. That's, that's right. Now, take your Bible and go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Having so much fun this morning. Really enjoying myself. <clears throat> of course, I wasn't enjoying myself earlier this week when I was putting this together. Anyways, Hebrews chapter 13. Look in. And so much here to... Take a look at Let's start in verse 1 just because it's fun. Let brotherly love continue. Amen. Praise the Lord. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's a verse that you should really give some consideration for, but the ability to make comments on it right now far exceeds the amount of time that we have available. So I'm going to move on. Remember them that are bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Next verse, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Excuse me, let, let, conver let your conversation be without, co without covetousness. I, I think we all understand that that conversation is, deals with the way that you walk, it's, the, it's your lifestyle, it's the particular mode of living that you have. And he says, hey, when you're living, the way that you're living, let it be without covetousness. Just quit coveting. And he said, inversely, on the opposite side of the same coin, be content. You know what? You can gauge the amount of covetousness that a man has by looking on the opposite side of the coin and looking at how much contentment he's got. Paul said, I have learned. It's not innate. It's not something that's in you. He said, I've learned that in all, all, everywhere where I'm at, he said, to be therewith to be content. He said, I've, I've just learned, hey, I'm just satisfied. It doesn't mean that he lost his drive. It doesn't mean that he lost his, his desire to go get something done for the Lord. But, hey, I'm satisfied. I'm just satisfied. You know what the basis of that satisfaction is? It's right there in the verse. For he hath said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know why we can be satisfied with whatever station we're at in life? You're making $20,000 a year. You know, you could be satisfied with that. You say, on what basis? He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You could be satisfied with the wife that you have. On what basis? He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Am I right? I know I'm right. You can be satisfied with that broken old car that you got. You say, on what basis? He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what the problem is? Your salvation means too little to you. The things of this world have gotten so big in your estimation that the fact that you've got an eternal home waiting for you in the heavens, you're looking forward to the millennial reign of Christ and eternity, spending eternity with Jesus Christ, with God in heaven, all of that stuff means very little to you. 
And so as a result, everything else in this world has got to become so big. Now listen, let me be clear this morning. I'm not telling you not to exercise some initiative and go work and labor and get tangible things for yourself. I'm just telling you, you're supposed to work with contentment in your heart. You know what the Bible tells you in the book of Ephesians? He said, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. For what purpose? That he may have to give to him that needeth. Nothing wrong with you taking all of that stuff that you got and just enjoying it. We're going to look at a verse here in just a second that deals with that. Nothing wrong with doing that stuff. But, hey, how about working for some of that stuff? And I'll tell you, I think some of you in here have that down very well. You say, who? I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to get a big head. But I think some of you got that down very well. You, you're some of the most given people that I've ever met in my life. You're more of a giver than I am. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you for that. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to labor. I'm not telling you you can't enjoy that stuff, but labor so that you can have, so that you can give to him that needeth. Got a board back there, cork board, got a bunch of missionary letters on that. We're trying, taking on, we're trying to take on some more missionaries. Got a, got a postcard from, uh, oh, the guy down in Chile. Uh, Robinson, brother, brother Phil Robinson, just saying, hey, we appreciate your monetary gift. Hey, man, you, you never know, man. Some of the missionaries that we're trying to take on, Brother Hines has been in Quebec for years, and I think he's still on the first church that he's ever built. You say he's not in the will of God. Tough place. Bunch of French folks. You go witness to some French people. Mm-hmm. They, they're tough. They're tough. You say they're not as hard as Americans. I beg to differ with you. Americans are hard-headed. But them French folks, man, they just about pretty well near hate the Lord. They hate God. But you take these guys like uh, Craig and Veronica Davison. I don't know if you ever look at those missionary letters. I hope you do. I hope you go back there and read them. Craig and, David, uh, uh, Craig and uh, Veronica Davidson over there in Indonesia, they're getting into the universities over there, witnessing the folks. The government has loosened up and said, hey, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Brother Mooberry getting ready to go to the field. When he was here, he was witnessing the folks left and right. Uh, who was the other folks that we was trying to take on? Who was it? Robinson's. Brother Robinson has created, he started two, uh, two Bible institutes in Chile and has started three churches. Just moving, just moving left and right, doing a work for the Lord. Don't you reckon those guys have got some needs? Wouldn't be a bad place to put your money. Certainly better than spending it on 16 cases of Coca-Cola every week. Now, listen, you do what you want to. That's your business. It's your business. But all I'm telling you is, mission's a good place to put your money. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good preaching. Having a good time. Listen, let me ask you something. If what you have right now doesn't satisfy you, why do you think that something else is going to satisfy? If you can't be content, listen, fellas, if you're not satisfied with your wife the way that she is right now, why do you think that going out and finding another wife, another woman, is going to satisfy you? If you're not satisfied with the 2008 GMC Sierra that you have right now, why do you think that going out and buying a 2020 GMC Sierra is going to satisfy you? Why? Why do you think that that's going to satisfy? It ain't going to. Hell and destruction are never full, therefore the eyes of man are never, never satisfied. Never. Gotta have, gotta have, gotta have, gotta have, gotta have, gotta have. Why? You covetous, man. Just be thankful for what you've got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know why you don't hear preachers preach about that? Because they're covetous. Preachers want extra. Got to have a little bit more. Got to have a little bit extra. Uh, reading a thing the other day, it's actually been quite a while now, somebody came to their pastor, a Bible-believing independent Baptist church, and said, hey, we'd like to give you a raise. And he said, I don't need one. He said, I don't need one. They said, yeah, but we'd like to give it to you. He said, no, put it somewhere else. <laughs> and he's not making six figures a year. 
I don't know how much he's making, but I know he's not making six figures a year. I'm okay. I'm surviving. Boy, let's have an altar call. That's right, man. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to portray to you that it's a crime to make money. It's not. I'm not trying to tell you that it's a crime to lay up for your retirement. It's not. I'm not trying to tell you that it's a crime to have the initiative to go work for something if you desire it. All you got is desire. It's not the will of God. It's just a desire. That's acceptable. But this moment, the, the point at which that desire comes to this insatiable desire that I've got to have this. You get it. Oh, I've got to have this. And then you get it. Oh, I've got... Where's it going to stop? Where are you going to be able to pull the plug on that desire and just say, enough! Speak from experience. Go home, tear through your sheds, and look at all the garbage that you've got that you don't even know you've got it because it's been sitting in there for so long, you forgot that you even had it. Yes, sir. I dare say all of us is guilty. What's going on? You covetous. Be thankful. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. First Timothy chapter 6. Boy, I didn't get through as much as I had hoped I would. Go figure. First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and, and, the, and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even, to the, wor- even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, Knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Well, that's basically what you just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Hey, if any brother be called a fornicator or covetousness, don't sit down and eat with him. Well, Paul's telling Timothy the same thing here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hey, you find these guys that suppose that gain is godliness. It's a problem with covetousness. They're supposing that gain is godliness. Leave them alone. Now, I've got to point this out because it's right here in the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6 starts out talking about your relationship with your boss man. Submission to authority. Saved or lost. Talking about your boss man. Whether he's saved or lost. Hey, let as many servants as are under the yoke. Man, that just, that just rubs society the wrong way. I ain't under, I'm not under the yoke of any man. The borrower's servant to the lender. You borrowing a spot on his payroll. Ain't you? And hey, I, I praise the Lord for that. I look at some of you fellas that, have, that work for yourself. Uh, Brother Spike, uh, Brother Tommy. Uh, Brother Curtis basically works for himself. I don't envy them fellas. I, I do not covet what they have. I praise the Lord that they're able to do what they do. But I, I have never really wanted to go into business for myself. You say, why? I, I treasure security. Really? You say, that's a little bit of a sissy notion. I, maybe it is. Pray for me. <laughs> I just, man, you take a risk, man. And man, I, my hat's off to you. You guys that are willing to take that risk. Praise the Lord, man. So you know what I'm supposed to do, the fellow that I'm working for? I'm supposed to bow my head and, hey, count, count their own masters worthy of all honor. You say, but he's lost. Count him worthy of honor. That fellow worked hard to create the company that you're now working for. Listen, you may not agree with his stance. You may not agree with everything that he thinks or says, but... Hey, you've got a spot on his payroll. You, I'm not telling you to compromise, but you better be careful. 
Just use some common sense. Of course, that's not very common these days. And he tells you why to do it. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Here's a guy that you're working for and you're witnessing to him and telling him, you know, what he should do with his eternal soul. And yet you can't even obey the instructions that your boss man's given you. And he's standing here saying, you don't even know how to submit to me. Why in the world should I submit to this God that you're talking about? That's your God? He makes an allowance for you to be a jerk to me, and I'm your boss, man. Whether he's saved or lost. That's right. That's right. Do what your boss man said. You say, well, I don't like it. Then shut up or go find another job. Just shut your mouth, go find another job. Praise the Lord. Now, what happens if, you, if your boss man's saved? Well, now you've got a double responsibility because now not only is he just your boss, he's your brother. Listen, let me just tell you this. You better be careful about working for saved folks. And I don't say that. I'm not telling you not to do so. I'm just telling you you better be careful. You say, why, why should I be careful? Because you were putting two nooses around your neck. You're not just putting a noose around your neck as far as your employer-employee relationship. Now you're putting a noose around your neck because that's my Christian brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Many a relationship between Christian brothers has been ruined because they don't know how to work with each other on a secular workplace. Everybody in here is saying amen and agreeing with me, but I feel some resistance to this. Y'all out there listening on the radio mad at me? Get right with God. That's right. Quit ruining your relationships with your brother because you, you are not head and can't figure out how to submit to your boss man when he's your fellow church member. Listen, here at this church... In a sense, without apology, I'm your boss. But if I come down and work with Brother Tommy or work with Brother Curtis or I work with some of you other fellows around at your house, you're my boss. Understood. I don't think that's hard to see. You're my boss. You've you given me money, right? I hope you've given me money. We can talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't let a fella come work with you. In the Old Testament, the Bible says you pay the fella daily. Not by the week, not bi-weekly. You pay him daily. I understand that makes it very difficult, what we have going on. Actually, I take that back. We've got the opportunity to do direct deposit. You don't have to write out any check. All that stuff is computerized. How, why is it so hard to pay everybody by the day? Just, I'm just thinking out loud there. <laughs> okay. That's a God's honest truth. But listen, you're going to ruin your relationship with your brother. You're going to ruin a relationship in the church because you can't get right on this matter of, hey, that's my boss man, or hey, he's my boss man. I've got to do what he tells me to do. If it causes, listen, if it causes that much of a problem, if it causes that much contention, shut your mouth and just say, Hey, I, I found another job. No damage in the church is done. No, no cross words are said. You just got out of the situation for the sake of peace in the church. Shut up and go somewhere else. Anyways, I got to move on because we ain't going to get through this very much. But anyways... So he says, these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud. And then he goes through here and he says, these guys that won't consent to these words, here's a list. This is who these people are. And one of the things that characterizes those people is supposing that gain is godliness. The more stuff that I can accumulate, the more, stuff I, the more money I can put in my pocket, the more uh, material possessions that I have sitting on my property, that means that I'm spiritual. That means that I'm godly. And that is, that is the farthest from what it means. Case in point, Bill Gates. I don't know what you think about Bill Gates, but I'm preaching, so I'm going to tell you what I think about him. He's a scoundrel. He's a, he's a low-down scoundrel. 
And I don't have time to go into why I think all of that, but I will tell you, uh, Bill Gates was one of the largest pushers of this Common Core stuff in the public schools right now. You know why? Because in Common Core, you can get credit as a student. You can get credit by studying Microsoft manuals. Let's go on down just a little bit and look here. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. You say, what's going on? Bill Gates in love with money. Hey, it doesn't matter whether these kids can't add or write a complete sentence or carry out a logical thought. Who cares about that? They're my little puppets that'll work in my factories and work on my equipment. Yeah, I'm for it. You're a loser. You're a loser. I'm not, never, I'm not saying that I would never work on Microsoft stuff, I, but I'd only do it if I had to, if I was pushed into a corner to where I had to. But that's a different subject. I, I'm not trying to teach a class on computers. So what's going on? Love of money. Love of money. Covetous. Got to have more. Listen, if your net worth is somewhere, and I don't know what Bill Gates' net worth is, but if your net worth is somewhere around a billion or $10 billion dollars, why in the world do you need any more money? Listen, you, you folks, and rightfully so, I, I would, I do, give these Democrats a hard time about whining and complaining about all these folks that are, you know, you, give, you whine and complain about all these folks that are saying, hey, like, uh, what's that doofus from New York, that gal, that young gal who's my age, who ain't got a lick, of, she ain't got two brain cells working in her head. Osacio Cortez. She's saying that uh, there shouldn't be any rich people in the United States. You're an idiot. But I tell you, we give those people a hard time. But when you step back and look at a guy like Bill Gates, who's got all this money coming out of his ears, and he's buddying up with guys like Epstein, it'll make you step back and wonder. I'm not for the left's mentality. But I can't say that God's not letting that stuff come on because of idiots like Bill Gates. Now, you want to buddy up with a guy who's involved in human trafficking. Yeah, and worse. And then sit back and wonder why God's letting people like this Democrat from New York who's my age and ain't got two brain cells. You wonder why all that stuff's going on? Why would it not? Amen, amen, amen. If you're covetous, listen, if you've got a problem with that stuff, you don't deserve no liberty. You deserve for that stuff to be taken away. Yes, sir. Riches and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for those that are poor. God take that stuff according to the Proverbs. Take your wealth if you're a wicked man. He'll gather it up, let you gather it up for him in your lifetime. And then when you die, he'll let some fool come along and just, wee, throw it out to whoever Needs it. Yes, sir. What, what, you so, what y'all so quiet for? You know, where, you, you know how to kill a Baptist? You shoot him where his wallet is, in the rear end. That's right, that'll kill him. You start talking about money and start talking about things, start talking about possessions. Oh, Lord God, you, you on the sacred cow. Yes, sir. You're full of the devil. Supposing that gain is godliness. Supposing that gain is godliness. Listen, you run across an individual or you run across the church that you run across the church that takes the attitude that the more buildings we have and the more money we have in the bank, you run across a church like that, you better run in the opposite direction as quickly as you can. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The success of the church is not determined by how much money you got saved up in the bank. Are you getting the gospel out? That costs money. It costs money. Some of these Southern Baptist churches got millions of dollars in the bank. And powerless power of God ain't nowhere near their church. Ain't got no fire. That's right, man. Full of the devil. Supposing that gain is godliness. Well, we've got to get more people in. I'd like to have more people in. I'm not against that. 
but I'm not going to sacrifice the integrity of the scriptures, not going to sacrifice the integrity of the old time way to get these morons in here. Listen, people will go to church where they want to go to church. That's right. You get a certain flavor presented from the pulpit, you get, which is a different subject for a different time. We, we, we throw off on little statements like that, a certain flavor, you know, a certain style. We throw off on stuff like that. And listen, better be careful about throwing off on stuff like that. You better be careful. I better be careful about throwing off on stuff like that. God uses personalities. That is a controversial statement right there, so I'm going to just leave it right there and let you think about it. <laughs> God uses personalities. He used Moses. He used Elijah. You say that's people, personalities. Why would you say a thing like that? Hey, Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years, according to my word. I genuinely believe that God was dealing with Elijah, and Elijah just walked right into the king's court and said, no more rain. It ain't going to rain no more. Took a bow and turned around and walked off. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Supposing that gain is godliness. Got to have, got to have, got to have. Some of you ladies, you drive your husband nuts because you don't have what your daddy was providing for you when you left his house. Why don't you pack your bags and go back to your daddy? Now, you fellas, I have to go home and fix all of that. <laughs> Please don't go. Ain't that right, though? Hey, you didn't marry your daddy. You didn't marry your daddy. If you liked it so well at daddy's house, you should have stayed there. Let that fellow marry some other gal that's willing to follow him. Amen. Amen. Let some other gal, you should have let some other gal that was willing to live with his income marry him. But you didn't. You married that sucker. You stick with his income. Live within your means. Quit being covetous. Some fellas can't get close to God. You know why they can't get close to God? Because their wife won't let them. That's right. Some fellas can't get close to God because their wife won't let them. You say, how will they not let them? It's not that they're trying to get in his way. It's just they, they got such a high standard of living. If he doesn't go make extra money so that she can go get her nails done and her hair fixed, she's going to flip her lid on him. Let me make a recommendation to you. Those of you that are here, those of you that are listening out in radio land, la la land, wherever you might be this morning, let her flip her lid. She'll do it a couple of times. And listen, listen, God help us. Lord, be merciful to you. She might pack her bags and leave. That's a really harsh reality. And God, I, I hope, God be merciful to you. I hope she wouldn't do something like that. But listen, it'd be better for you to do that. It'd be better for you to let her flip her lid 15 different times and get a belly full of it and go back to daddy's house where daddy gave her everything that she wanted and you have the ability to sit down and study your Bible than to have to li live with that hellion who won't let you get close to God. It'd be better. It'd be better. It'd be better. So I'd have to raise my kids by myself. I'd hate it. I'd hate it for you. I'd hate it for you. But it'd be better. I'm not a proponent. I'm not an advocate for divorce. I'm not an advocate for divorce. But I'm not an advocate for you living in a state of being to where you've got to keep your wife happy because she's got to have everything all the time. Just let her go. Let her go. Let her go. Let her go. I'm not telling you to get a divorce. I'm telling you do right. Let God put pressure on her. You do right. You do right. Quit, quit trying to turn around. Listen, you lead. Lead your home. Lead your home. Quit worrying about whether or not she's following. You don't charge into battle. Listen, you don't charge into battle worrying about whether you got the rest of the guys with you. You charge. You better shoot down range, fella. If you constantly worried about whether or not your wife's coming with you, buddy, you're going to get shot. Because they ain't going to quit shooting. Listen, I get a little stirred up this morning. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but if you get your feelings hurt, get them hurt. And then get right. Just move forward, man. And, and I'll be praying for you. 
I'll be praying that your wife goes with you. And let me refer back to the beginning, to the middle of this message. Let me refer back to that. I believe, I believe with all my heart that the exception of the rule is that she won't follow. I believe most women will. See, what happened, I'm getting into this morning's message, and I'm really not trying, I'm trying to preach about covetousness. But I believe with all my heart what's happened is men have created the mindset of their, their wives looking and saying, well, I don't have this. And, oh, 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 what do you need? What would you like? You're married. There's an element of that that has to be there. You're married. That's part of living with people. I get it. That's part of that husband and wife relationship. But to live to that degree to where you don't have time to sit down and spend any time with God Who's first, your wife or the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, I believe if you put the Lord first, it'll automatically put your wife first. Horse manure. Been a couple of times in my marriage, because we're people, been a couple of times in my marriage to where the Lord disagreed with my wife. At that point, you have to count the cost and figure out what price you're willing to pay. And some fellas just cave in and go with their wives. And I'm telling you, you're creating a disaster. You're creating a situation to where your wife's mind is going to be broken. It's going to be broken. All that out of covetousness. All right, let's hurry. We got it. We got it. We got to get through this. All right. But supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. Listen, you get to a place to where you find in folks that just think that the more stuff that they have, the more spiritually they are, you better get away from them. Don't want that stuff rubbing off on you. You shouldn't. But he tells you what, what, what is right. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what I want? I want the Lord Jesus Christ to be seen in my life. I want God's nature. I want the nature of the lovely Lamb of God being made manifest in my mortal flesh. That's godliness. You take godliness, put it with contentment, that's great Gain. Boy, I got something that this world can't pay nothing for. That's great gain. And listen, if you live in that way and living on a dirt floor shack, you're richer than these guys like Bill Gates and all these other fellows that have got millions pouring out their ears. You know what comes with that? Comes peace, comes joy. That's right. That's right. Godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Look here, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Listen, they can wheel your casket down here in the front of a church or put it somewhere down at the Masonic Lodge. God have mercy on your soul. Leave the Masonic Lodge alone. Leave it alone. So that's just a good place to get connections. It's a good place to get demon-possessed. We'll preach a message about that eventually sometime once I get through all this other stuff. I mean, the, there's just so much to preach about. Man, it's so fun. But anyways, you wheel your carcass down there and listen, they can open your casket and put all the money down in there in that casket. They put all the money down there. They can put you in a car and bury you in your car. It ain't going with you. Whatever way you're going, it ain't going with you. You didn't bring anything in here, did you? When you was born, you didn't even bring any clothes on your back. How dare you be an indecent and all that? Man, that's the same way you leaving, buddy. The same way you came out, you leaving the same way. You came in naked, screaming and crying, you're going to leave naked, screaming and crying. That's right. Unless you're saved and, in you, and you're in fellowship with God, you might go out naked and got the peace of God in your heart. That's right. You didn't bring anything in, you ain't going to take nothing out. Verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Mm-hmm. How about that food and raiment? You got that this morning? I don't see anyone in here. I don't know of any member of the church that is not here this morning, but I don't know of anybody in here that ain't got at least food and raiment. You may not have the food that you'd like to have. You might not even have the raiment that you'd like to have, but you got clothes on your back and you got food in your belly this morning. If you ain't got food in your belly this morning because you're too lazy to get out of bed and make your own food this morning. My, even my kids got enough sense for that. They got up and made them a bowl of cereal this morning. What you complaining about? Boy, I tell you, Brother Chris, we should be the happiest people in the world. 
We should be the happiest folks in the world, man. God's been so good to us. I'm telling you, man, God's been good to us. We ain't got, we ain't got no business. Listen, you want to go get your bass boat, go work for it. Help yourself. I'm not telling you it's a crime to do that. I'm just telling you, if you ain't willing to put out there what's required to get it, shut your mouth. Amen, amen. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, that's not a foretelling, that's a desire. But they that will be rich, I want to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You know what got Judas? Covetousness. It got him. <laughs> he who serves God for money will soon serve the devil for better wages. It's exactly what happened to Judas. You know what Judas is called? He's called the son of perdition. Got him. You want to be relatives with Judas, do you? Get a little bit of covetousness in your heart, folks. Get a little covetousness in your heart, fellas. Ladies, children, get a little covetousness in your heart. It won't be long before you're selling God out. It won't be long. It won't be long. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Every evil that you see in this world, you know what's at the root of it? Somebody likes money. Dr. Ruckman used to say, he said, and he probably got it from somebody else, but he said, if something doesn't make sense, there's a buck in it. I said, God's honest truth. You stand around and look at this common core. Our kids are getting stupider. They're getting dumber. This don't make sense. Somebody got their hand in the pot. Yes, sir. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith. Yes, sir. I don't know something that'll get a hold of a preacher quicker than money. Money, women, and smarts. That's what'll get you. That's what'll get a preacher. That's what'll get a preacher, fellas. Money, women, education. It'll get you. Love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. You want to really get some gain? That's the stuff that you want to look for. That's the stuff that you want in your life. You don't have to have a $100 bill hanging in your wallet all the time. Of course, it'd be nice, but you don't have to have that. I wouldn't mind having a couple of hundred dollars in my wallet. I think I got a 20 Man, I shouldn't have said that. She's sitting right there. <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not telling you it's a crime. It's not a crime. But that's not where your real wealth lies, fellas. Ladies, that's not where your real wealth lies. You say, where does it lie? Right here, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, patience, meekness. All right, let's go on down and then we'll close a little bit over this morning. But that's okay. You'll be all right. <clears throat> Verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. You know what happens? You know what happens when you get a little money in your pocket? There's a, book, there's a verse in the book of Habakkuk that talks about how you've coveted, and this, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember how to quote it. I don't remember exactly what the verbiage is, but he says you've coveted to a covetousness, and he said what that produces is a false sense of security. You get all this money in your wallet, and you start looking around saying, man, I'm okay. I'll be all right. Mm -hmm. Preacher, stand up and preach to you and tell you, hey, you're going to die in your sins and burn in hell, or hey, that sin that you're partaking in as a Christian, God's going to come and knock a knot on your head. you got all this money in your wallet thinking, well, if I get sick, I can pay for it. If my house burns down, i got it covered by an insurance, I'll be okay. If I get in a wreck, you see how the mentality goes? i got money, I can take care of it. You know what's happened? That money got in your head and now you're high-minded. And listen, it don't take but just that for everything to turn around. Coronavirus and the stock market. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say you ain't disturbed about the stock market going through the floor? It hurts my feelings a little bit. I got a little bit invested in a 401k. Watch those numbers go down. Of course, it came back up a little bit. I'm not too discouraged about that. But you say, why ain't you discouraged about it? Because I'm not trusting in the stock market, not trusting in my 401k. Still hurts my feelings. I'm still a person. I still got family and mouths to feed. But I'm trusting in the Lord. 
Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Listen, some of you folks, if you, got, if you have money, nobody in here lives like that, so I don't know. But if you've got money, one of the things you're going to have to fight against is that false sense of security. You're going to have to be careful about that. That they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. The Bible talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, he said, he said the most, I'm paraphrasing again, he said the most pitiful thing in this world is to look at a rich man who's got all this stuff that his heart could ever desire and he's got no ability to enjoy. Watch a man who's got Ferrari sitting in his garage and he's got big diesel trucks with big tires sitting in his garage and he's got all this equipment sitting out, got ATVs, UTVs, TVs that you watch. I mean, just got all this stuff. He's got a 5,000 square foot house with a big pool out back and he's sitting inside dying of cancer. He can't even get outside his door. That's rough. That's a terrible joke. Yes, sir. He said... He said, you better trust in the living God who gives you all that stuff so that you can enjoy it. Hey, you want it? Go get it and have a good time with it. And every time you're out there driving that truck or every time you're out there in that hunting club that you paid for all your hunting dues, every time you're out there, just bow your head every once in a while and say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. When you get out there and, fellas, you shoot that deer, bow your head and say, thank you, Lord. I thank you. Thank you for the meat, but I thank you for the sheer fun that I had doing this. Quit trusting in that money. Quit trusting in that money. He said, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Be ready. Not telling you to do it yet. Just be ready. Just be ready. Ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Some of you think that's, that means being willing, ready to talk. No, he's talking about willing to communicate. been so long since I looked in here, I better take inventory. I think I got some stuff missing. Anyways, willing to communicate. It's a communication. Bible talks, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the communication of your faith. You say, how do you do that? Put your money where your mouth is. That they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. Whoop, a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Amen. Hey, don't trust in your riches. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You say, man, I'd really like to have some stuff. Be willing to work for it. Listen, be willing to work for it. And if God never lets you have that stuff, be satisfied with what you got. Say, Lord, I'd really like to have this. If you let me get it, I'd appreciate it. But if you don't, that'd be okay too. I'm saved. You know why some folks can't do that? Because it's not a big deal to them. You forgot where you came from. You forgot where you was before God saved you. You better spend some time thinking about that as opposed to how much money you can make tomorrow. It'll, be, it'll make you a blessing to be around with all them fellas that, that you'll be working with tomorrow. And this fella sure is a nice, generous, just cheery fella. I enjoy being around this guy. You say, why? Glad he's saved. He's not, he's not trusting in those riches. Amen. Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you, God, for this morning. God, thank you, God, for the good spirit that's here. And I pray that you'd bless these folks. God, every, every soul, God, that's here, every family that's represented. Lord, the folks that are at home listening this morning, God, pray you'd bless them. God, and help them, Lord, strengthen us. Help us this morning, God, as we sing some songs. And, Lord, come to worship you, Lord. I pray that you'd help us, God, to, Lord, just take these things into consideration. Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Take a couple minutes break.